Hey, Kingdom Roots friends. I want to invite you to a special event Northern Seminary is bringing back by popular demand. It's our Taste of Northern, and it's going to be happening May 20th through the 23rd. We're opening all our classes that week in May, and it doesn't matter if you're in the Netherlands or Japan, because check this out, we literally have students join us from both of those places. See, everyone can participate from anywhere in the Taste of Northern via Northern Live. You just need an internet connection. Now, we're so excited at the thought of having you join us for one of the classes between May 20th through 23rd that we will send you the first lecture Scott did on Paul's pastoral theology for free, as well as give you a $250 scholarship toward a degree program at Northern. That's a value of over $550 that you're getting absolutely free just for signing up and attending the Taste of Northern event. Just go to seminary.edu forward slash taste to sign up. We look forward to being with you and having you get a taste of our northern community. Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight. The conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today on the podcast, we're continuing the audio where we left off last week of Scott and Tara Best's webinar that they did on women leading in the church. One of these on here, uh, this is a great question by an anonymous attendee, and they said, I feel called to pastor and preach, but I'm terrified of taking the leap, leaving my home church and investing time and money in seminary and ordination. I have had many preaching to the cornfield moments, like you mentioned uh, myself, <laughs> and any words of encouragement to a woman in this place? Yeah, I would say go for it. Go boldly go for it. I think of Deborah. Uh, just how bold she was to get into the trenches. Uh, Deborah didn't lead just with this, with top down. I mean, she she painted the vision of of what was going to happen, but then she also got into the trenches and she went for it. And that is the story of so many women: is not only having an imagination, but not letting that imagination be just that, but moving into it and going for it. And to allow it to be a reality, it is so scary. When I started seminary, my oldest son was nine months old and I was pregnant with my second born. And it was a crazy whirlwind and it was hard. And there's been so many moments since then where I think I don't have to do this. I could just be home. I could be a mom. Um, I could have stayed back in Chicago, but I am so thankful that I did do this, and uh, it's the most rewarding and fulfilling um, thing in the world to be able to be using the gifts that God is giving you. And whether you're called to lead, whether you're called to preach, whether you're called to teach, uh, to have those moments to actually do it is incredible. And so for all of the hard and difficult moments that I have had, I am so thankful that I went through them to get to this place today. You know, I would I would add to this, Tara Beth, that uh, a little bit of a nervousness, a little bit of a fear, a little bit of hesitation is often far better than aggressiveness, and right. uh, you know, just barging ahead. That's and right. and I and I would say this about men and women, uh, and I'm not I'm not saying that it's uh, it's a little easier to be aggressive as a male and be accepted than it is a female. The point I would make though is that. The person who's a little bit nervous about the calling 
is probably going to be more dependent upon God and more humble about what they're doing than the person who is absolutely confident that they're God's person for this moment at that place. That's uh, right. Uh, and so that attitude is a really good one to That's move right. forward, to take the next step. That's right. Even today, I have such a sense of weightiness um, to what I'm doing. And uh, there are many mornings I wake up and I'm shaking in my boots. Not a Sunday morning goes by that I'm not terrified to preach, but it does uh, cause me to rely on the empowering presence of the Spirit. And I really like, I just want to highlight something you said, Scott. I really like what you said about not barging our way. Uh, that is something for for us women who have had difficult days that is really hard and it's been hard for me. But I often say to young women um, in these conversations to not let anger and bitterness be your banner. And I think also we can do a better job of reframing the conversation. And uh, this might be a little controversial, but I think that if we frame this conversation in a justice only conversation, then the temptation is to lead with anger and bitterness. But if we can frame this in a missional conversation, that the mission of God is at hand and that the bride of Christ will continue, as Carolyn Custis James often says, limp along if, if men and women are not leading together. And so when we just have this burning desire to participate in this grand and glorious mission, uh, then I think that... Um, anger and bitterness begins to dissipate and a deep love for this mission of God and a deep love for the bride of Christ begins to take the forefront. And I know it's so hard. It's so hard. You know, Tara Beth, I've learned that uh, the justice conversation when it's a fight is a, is a losing, is usually a losing battle in a local church. Yes. That instead, the greatest thing to do is just carry on with your gifts. And when people see that they've been ministered to by gifts, I have a friend as a pastor, a female pastor named Alice Shirey, who started preaching in her church. Her pastor gave her the platform and and a couple men came up and said, you know, you're a really good preacher. I learn a lot from you. I guess women preaching is just fine. That's right. I think, I think if Alice would have fought for that position, she'd have been in trouble. But because she just now there is a, there are times when we have to step forward. And, and I often say this, walk gently, walk lightly, but don't back up an inch. We need to move into this conversation firmly, but not to fight, but just to demonstrate the giftedness of women that God's spirit has given them uh, to do. And that's, I think, what we need to do. Amen. That's great. So I got a pretty good follow-up question here for, for what you guys are talking about. And it is from um, INS Franklin. And they say, today there are many male pastors who are not required to attend seminary. Is seminary training a must for women, especially if they're going to teach? I'm a Fuller MDiv graduate and I currently lead a, a venue congregation and preach for a large evangelical church. As I mentor other women, I have been encouraging them to go to seminary as I don't know of many who give women a chance if they don't have the education. Would you agree with this advice, advice or, or give any others? Do I get to answer this one? <laughs> I think a that's, a, a that's a throw up. That's a toss up. Okay. Yeah. I think, by the way, hi, Ines. Uh, I think absolutely seminary is a must, unfortunately, um, but also fortunately because seminary is a gift. Uh, it was the most transformative experience of my life, one of. And um, 
And also, unfortunately, we live in a world where women do have to be better to be noticed. Um, we, we have got to bring our best theological chops to the table. We have got to be prepared. We have, uh, we've got to study harder and, uh, we've got to prepare harder. And that is the reality of the world that we, we do live in. Um, and, but also I wouldn't look at it as a negative, um, I consider myself to be a lifelong learner and I love sticking my face in an academic book. I love sitting at the feet of a professor. And so the bride of Christ is better for it. Yeah. I'm, and I would, I would support this idea. You know, I'm a seminary professor, so I can sound biased, but I would say we need seminary professors more. I mean, seminary educated pastors more today than ever. And one of the reasons is in the last 30 last generation or more, an increasing number of pastors uh, did not go to seminary, and they have watered down theology and the gospel and worship and Christian discipleship to the point where it is a very strong dilution of what the gospel actually is. And because of that, I think we are in, in, in many ways recovery mode. The interest in theology and even conservative theology by so many is a reaction to the dilution of theology in many churches. So I I encourage people to go to seminary. It's expensive. It takes time. We are providing at Northern Seminary. This is a little plug, but I'm not. This wasn't planned. Uh, we tr- we're trying to provide what we call Northern Live for people so they don't have to leave their ministry situation. So they can take it online uh, and participate in a classroom at the same time. So. Uh, I would say, yes, seminary education is valuable. And I like to say that we enhance the giftedness. We don't grant any giftedness. If if you're not gifted, seminary will probably just make you a more knowledgeable, ungifted person. But if you're gifted, it, it will make you a better pastor. That's good. We have a couple of questions here about um, your marriage relationship and, and what's that look like in ministry. Um, Becky specifically asked, Tara Beth, can you share about how you and Jeff live out an egalitarian marriage? Give women and men a vision for what mutual marriage can look like. Yeah, I love this question. So when Jeff and I got married, we talked right away. Um, well, actually, when we were just dating, we talked right away about what this is going to look like because we knew that I was going to be in some form of pastoral ministry. We knew that senior pastoral ministry could be in the cards someday. And so we talked about what that would look like. And he knew that that would look like at times giving things up. And so uh, first of all, Jeff loves Jesus so much. He um, loves Jesus in a way that it inspires me to want to love Jesus more. And he embodies it and he lives it with his selflessness. And when I was serving in upstate New York as an associate pastor, we sensed a call to move to the back to the Midwest. He was a um, an emerging engineer at uh, Lockheed Martin working on the next presidential helicopter. He left that role and became a server at Olive Garden, which is just amazing and never once complained about it. And then even moving out here to California, he was a senior engineer at the time at Northrop Grumman, an incredible dream job. Gave that up and came out here and didn't have a job for the first four months, uh, which ended up being a blessing as we were transitioning. But serving in ministry uh, 
in the book Emboldened that is coming out in October, Jeff wrote a little bit in there about what it's like to be the spouse of a pastor. And Jeff said something so profound and so beautiful in there. He said that my role as a pastor's husband is not some spouse supporting my wife's really ambitious career goals and aspirations. Uh, he said, but it is actually what I'm doing. It's, it's my role as a Christian because we are one. And, and so for me, helping her live out her calling as a pastor is what it means to be a Christian. It's the duty. It's, it's my uh, Christian duty. And so Jeff and I do have an egalitarian marriage. We mutually submit to one another. Uh, sometimes I'm the caretaker. Sometimes he's the caretaker. Sometimes we're both the caretakers. Um, and we just pick up the pieces when, um, when things are needed. And so, um, you know, sometimes he's sewing and outside pulling weeds while I'm writing sermons. And sometimes it's reverse. And so uh, we make it work as we mutually submit to one another. And I've, you know, um, my wife's a psychologist. And so we've paid attention to Tara Beth and Jeff over the years. And she's got a lot of energy and uh, works hard. But, uh, Becky, I would say that uh, Tara Beth and Jeff are a really good example of a couple in ministry that Jeff is a supporter of the ministry that Tara Beth has but she supports him in his work and his life as well. So it goes both ways. And and we, we like the pictures on Facebook with the kids <laughs> on the long walks in California in the yeah. middle of the winter when we've got snow. It's a, it's a good reminder that, uh, that life is better in some other places. That's <laughs> great. That's, that's fun. Hey, I'm going to um, bring our attention back to the poll that everybody uh, had been um, voting on. Thanks for doing that. Um, sharing those results now, it looks like it's uh, pretty widespread across there. Mm -hmm. Some getting a, a pretty positive and supporting experience um, to the our, our highest response, 31, being um, towards the low end of the spectrum on the negative side. Mm -hmm. So um, that's that's probably true. Thanks for, for letting us know about that. I'm going to launch another poll actually. And um, it, this one is is for everybody. Um, and just what has been the overall experience um, with a woman, if you've experienced that with a woman in church leadership. Um, so um, we'd love to hear what you have to say, and we'll get back to that soon. Um, another question for, for you guys, um, and this one is directed um, Specifically at Scott, but then I think Tara Beth, you may be able to, to add as well. Brandon asks, I'm all in for women in ministry, female ordination, and empowerment of women in every role in the church. One of the biggest pushbacks I get is in the office of elder. The debated word is presbyteroi, which is referred to as an older men, as older men. How can I combat this? Thank you for your voice. Well, again, we're back to some pretty hot debates, but uh, here, here's, uh, here's what I want to say first. Paul never says only males can be elders. He never says that. He never says only males can be bishops or overseers. He never says that. And he never says that only males can be deacons. So to say that Paul teaches that only males can be those elders, bishops, deacons, is, is saying more than what the Bible says. Here's the second point I would say is, at times, 
It is clear that Paul assumes the people he's talking to are males when he calls them elders, presbuteroi. All right, he calls deacons diakonoi, and that means they are males. But he calls Phoebe a deacon as well in Romans chapter 16. So it seems to me that the Apostle Paul, when he though he uses male categories, male terms, he's not necessarily excluding women who are called to those positions and those who are gifted in that way. So you could say that he assumes that the deacons are males. But at the same time, it is clear that Paul does not does not believe that only males can be deacons. That's what uh, I would say. So my response would be, okay, I understand that. And the fight for who is called what is not quite the point. I like to go from the other angle. And the primary, and this would be my third point, is I want to be a part of a church that empowers people according to the gifts that God gives them. And if someone can lead, let them lead. If they can teach, let them teach. If they can preach, let them preach. If they can write, if they can sing, whatever they are gifted by God to do, it is our responsibility to support. Good, Tara Beth, anything to add there? Yeah, you know, so Blue Parakeet, I have uh, given that book to more people than I can count. We keep that in our bookstore at our church. I keep it in my office. And one of the just best ways that I think that Scott talks about this is WDWD. You know, for a long time, um, WWJD bracelets were, were all the rage. And I love WDWD, which is what did women do? And, and so if you go back to the Old Testament and you just begin to walk through some of those women and ask yourself, what did they do? Were they serving in their gifts? Were they leading? Were they teaching? Were they prophesying? And the answer is yes, they were. And so that is the conversation that I often have with people as I say, okay, let's back up and let's look at the grand big story of God. And this is all in, in Scott's book and, and ask ourselves, what did women do? Good. Yep. Yep. Great. Thanks, guys. Okay, so um, a follow-up question here, a little different direction, more specific and uh, applicable bases. Uh, Cooper asks, what is your advice to a conference or denomination entering into the discussion of ordaining women? Who's going to answer? Yeah, either of you. Uh, I'll, I'll start. Tara Beth will have good things to say here, too. Um, I would say... Uh, I, I made this statement a little bit earlier, and I'll say it again. Uh, walk gently, walk lightly, and don't back up an inch. And what I mean by that is move forward into this conversation, establish firm ideas, and don't give in on those ideas. Don't get in fights. Uh, use women as examples. And what Tara Beth said is so important. Uh, pastors and preachers and people in pulpits and in Sunday school need to use women as their, as their illustrations. You can't just tell stories about one man after another in your churches and expect women to resonate with it. So I, I would say in denominations, have fair conversations, but I, I believe that the most important conversation to have about the Bible is not you, we can't neglect passages like First Corinthians fourteen and First Timothy two. You, they're a part of the game, but 
we have to ask the question, what did women do in the pages of the Bible? Are you going to be biblical and allow a Deborah to lead the whole nation? Are you going to be biblical and allow Miriam to be the choir director or whatever you want to call her? Are you going to be biblical and allow Huldah to be the lead prophet of Israel in the days of Jeremiah? Are you going to allow Mary to sing this, the central song that the church has learned to sing? Are you going to allow Priscilla to do what she's gifted to do? Junia to be an apostle? Uh, the daughters uh, of Philip to be prophet? Are, are you going to allow women to do the things that God has gifted them to do? That, to me, is the central question we have to ask. Yeah, and I would also add uh, for denominations and churches that are entering into this conversation uh, would be to enter into it with humility and a posture of listening, because oftentimes when um, the conversation of women in ministry come up, people enter into it to be right and um, to really kind of hit one another over the head with the Bible, if you will. And instead, if we would enter in with humility, the posture of Jesus and the posture of listening, I think it could be a really uh, transformative uh, experience for a denomination. Good. Yeah, I and I would agree. And I would also I would also encourage um, churches and church leaders, if they're moving into this process, to use women as uh to give, in other words, for males to surrender the platform at times to women so that people can experience a woman's sermon or a woman's teaching. See, see what happens. I mean, some people could get mad and, and that's OK, because that's part of what happens. But uh, you, you've got to let it be seen what women can bring to the table if you're going to if you're going to encourage women to be pastors. Yeah, I have a friend in Texas, J.R. Foresteros, who is a tech, uh, Texas Nazarene pastor at a real just cool, uh, fun, edgy church. And he does something so cool. He finds women in his congregation because um, right now the pastors are men. He finds women in the congregation and mentors them and trains them up to teach and preach. And he puts them in the teaching and preaching rotation on a regular basis. Very good. So I would um, say, you know, to uh, churches wrestling through this, uh, we need male pastors to boldly um, offer up the platform to women in their midst. That's great. Well, so I, we, we've had so many great questions. Sorry we can't get to all and all of them specifically, but um, we have time for about one more. And uh, this is a, a good follow-up from Harriet. And she asks, how can implicit gender bias as discussed openly in race talks, be addressed and challenged in the church. These are hard to prove, but as a woman, I can't help but wonder if I would be treated the same if I were a man. Yeah, so I think that that that's those are some of the things that are the more invisible constructs that at times are really difficult for women to name and to have language for. And the church doesn't always have language for this. And so, you know, I recently read an article, something that women in the White House staff are doing that is just a really neat thing. And they are, um, instead of being angry and pointing the finger, instead they're rallying together. And so in meetings, um, if, so, if a female says something, 
another female will say, that's a really great point and say it again. And the women around the table will highlight one another's points and work together. And I think that we've got to get creative because one thing I've observed is when we begin to name some of those implicit things that are happening in those invisible constructs with just this incredible anger, we shut the conversation down. And um, we, we invoke just just the spirit of fear and anger in the room. And so I just wonder how we can continue as women and men creatively overcome some of those things um, in a positive way. And of course, there are times to prophetically name those. And we've got to be ever uh, discerning and prayerful of when those moments are. Um, But not always are we to um, prophetically name those. Um, I have a colleague at Northern Seminary named David Fitch, who uh, I think likes to stand up in front of a big audience and say, I am a racist. Um, I think that males uh, routinely need to admit that they're chauvinists. Uh, They need to just say, you know, I have a bias here. And and part of the for me, I think I this helped me to be a college professor for 17 years, where so many of my students were females who were really good students who, who were thinking of being called into ministry. And so many of them were willing to tell me what they thought about everything that came up, where I had a number of students early in my career say uh, that statement was chauvinist or I was wounded by that statement. And I thought to myself, man, I didn't mean anything like that. And it made me far more sensitive to language that could have impact women as women, and even if I did not intend it to be an, an insult to a female, uh, it, it was heard that way. And we need to become more sensitive in listening. And so that's what that's the way I would just add to Tara's, uh, Tara Best's very good words there, uh, that idea. Well, great. Thanks, guys, for being so great and jumping in on on those questions and for sharing all that you did today. Hopefully for those of you joining us, um, both on the webinar and Facebook Live, um, this has been a a good experience for you um, to get some of your your questions answered. And there was no way that we would be able to cover everything in this conversation because it's a very large conversation, but hopefully it's given you some perspective and some maybe um, different resources to look at and some different ideas to to think about. Um, But before we go, Scott, um, could you maybe fill some fill, fill our audience in and um, let them know about the, the programs here? This webinar is being done through Northern Seminary, and we have a Masters of Arts in New Testament program, which I'm a, a student and a part of. And you also have a, a Doctorate of Ministry in New Testament context that, um, of course, these are some of the issues that we'll be talking about in those, but, but just let them know yeah. what those programs are about. Well, I... Uh, Tara Beth, and uh, one of the questions was about seminary, and Tara Beth talked about it, and I talked about it, and so it's a good time just to say that I would encourage you to go to seminary uh, if you feel called to ministry uh, to enhance the gifts that you have, and I would love for you to consider Northern Seminary, and we have two, I'm, I'm involved in two programs, but we have plenty of programs at Northern Seminary. We're creative, um, we're, we're at the forefront of discussions about how online education can be far more personal and actually live instead of just watching some professor lecture. 
there's participation by students uh, because they're in the room as well. And I, I teach a Master of Arts in New Testament that is focused on helping people to become better teachers and preachers in the church. And I'm also involved in a doctorate of ministry program for students who want to go into becoming, uh, understanding the New Testament in its historical context better and to enhance their already um, existing ministries. So those are the two. But we have a great faculty. We've got a couple more coming. We can't announce those yet. Uh, but we have great things coming at Northern Seminary, and we'd love for you to consider us. Tara Beth, you want to share just quickly what your experience was like as a, a student? I know you kind of did already a little bit, but what was it like? I know you got an MDiv from Northern. What was it like to be a student? It was an incredible journey. The professors there are engaging. They are relational. Um, anytime I would email a professor or ask to meet with them, they were very pastoral and would spend time with me. Um, one thing was apparent is the pastors or the professors there don't sit in an academic ivory tower with no understanding of what it's like to have boots in the ground ministry, but they are all very active in their church. Many of them are, some of them are bivocational. They serve in their church. They are pastors in their church. And so not only do they have a grasp of boots in the ground ministry, but they are pastoral in the way that they teach the students. Um, it's the classroom is a safe place to work through some of those scary and difficult questions. And it is received in a room of grace, of humility and love. And I had many moments uh, where I was going through kind of a crisis of sorts and the pro professor surrounded me and helped me get through those moments. And so um, seminary is the place to work through some of those difficult questions. It's to discover um, to continue to discover just what it is that we are gifted to do and have a better understanding of our call. And so everything about my experience at Northern Seminary was positive and formative. Great. Thanks, Sarah Beth. Uh, we, we loved having her in, at, at Northern Seminary. She was a wonderful student for all of us. Yeah. All right. So we're at the top of the hour again, um, noon here, central time. So um, to send everybody off, Scott, Tara, Beth, do you got any um, closing words, maybe encouragement to uh, anyone joining as an attendee here about what we've talked about today? Yeah, I would say both to um, the church, the local church and to women and men is uh, you know, Scott has a book coming out soon called Open on just the role of the Holy Spirit within the church. And I recently read it and it was just an incredible book about what it looks like for for the bride of Christ, for individuals to be open to the Holy Spirit. And I think that is so relevant to what we are talking about here is if the bride of Christ, if men, if women would be fully open and surrendered to the Holy Spirit, then I begin, I believe we would really truly begin to see more of a groundswell of men and women together embracing that spirit of Pentecost, of men and women prophesying, of men and women together participating in this grand and glorious mission. And so I would say to the woman who is shaking in her boots and is terrified, be open to the Holy Spirit, be open to the empowering and emboldening presence to the men who aren't sure 
how to come alongside of their sisters or how to speak out. Be open to the spirit and lean into the spirit that gives us wisdom and discernment and guidance and power and boldness. And to the bride of Christ that wants to make space at the table, be open to the spirit, be open to making room. And I think we might be all, all very surprised in what the Lord will do. The last word should be Terabeth. <laughs> I agree. I don't think it could, uh, anything can be said better than that. So, um, well, thank you again, Scott and Terabeth. And thank you thank to you. those who attended today. Uh, we hope this is helpful. And we're always here for you in, in this journey and in this process any way we can be. So thanks again thank for you. coming. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah. See you, Terabeth. See you, Scott. Bye-bye. I hope that second part of Scott and I's conversation with Tara Beth was helpful for you and insightful. She's done such a great job putting together her book, Emboldened. I want to really encourage you to check it out, get on Amazon or wherever you get your books from, and um, take a look at it if you hadn't had a chance to do that. I'll include a link to that in the show notes. Also, really hope that you're able to join us for the Taste of Northern. Ultimately, it doesn't matter where you're coming from, whether it's just down the road in Chicago or across the ocean in Japan. We would love to have you join us at Northern for one of our classes the week of May 20th through the 23rd. We have a great lineup of classes for that week. Dennis Edwards is teaching a class on Paul's letters and acts. Cherith V. Nordling is teaching a Christian theology class. David Fitch is even coming in for a special lecture on his new book, The Church of Us First Them. So not only are we opening our doors for a free week of classes, remember, if you sign up to participate in the Taste of Northern, we'll send you a recording of Scott's first lecture he did on Paul's pastoral theology from this past fall. We'll also throw in a $250 scholarship towards a degree at Northern. And now that's a, a value you got to understand of like over $550 that you're getting absolutely free just for signing up and attending the Taste of Northern event. So I've also included a link to the show notes on that. You can find it at seminary.edu slash taste if you'd like to learn more information and sign up. But we really hope to have you there just to get a taste of Northern and the learning experience that we all love and enjoy in the community that it is. So thanks for joining us on Kingdom Roots. We look forward to being with you next week as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Mm-hmm.